0: Today we start a series on the book of Mark, but it's not just that. We're actually doing, once a month, we're doing the book of Revelation too. How about that? Is that exciting? Right. The reason for that is uh, the the book of Revelation is becoming more and more important as we look towards the future and as the world gets a bit shaky. But to do Revelation all at once and go through it sometimes can be just a bit can be a bit much over a long period of time. So, what we're going to do is we're going to space it out in between. But today we're starting on the book of Mark. And over the next sort of couple of months, there's one aspect of Mark that we're really seeing come through, and that is of Jesus being the King or the Lord or the Son of God. Okay. And with all that in mind, I, I'm going to read from Mark chapter 1, verse 15. That's Mark chapter 1, verse 1 to 15. Confessing their sins, they were baptised by him in the River Jordan. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt round his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and he was baptised by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. At once, the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and the angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom has come near. Repent and believe the good news. I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you for your good news. And we pray that that good news today will touch our hearts, move our minds, and cause us to uh, see your greatness and to see our place before you as uh, your believers, as your children, as your servants. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Mark's gospel uh, is now considered by most people to be one of the earliest written stories of Jesus, possibly... Uh, written about 40 AD, and when Jesus died around 35 AD, that's really early. Um, and it's also uh, most people really consider it historically because in the, in the old days, you know, in the early church, people believed that Mark was a good friend, a close associate of Peter, and Mark wrote down what he heard from Peter. That was uh, uh, where he got his information. So you're kind of getting Peter's stories here, although not dictated by Peter, but just written by Mark from what he heard about from Peter. And Mark starts his story of Jesus' life at what he considers to be the beginning of the gospel. Mark also, just to understand him, he's someone who is very concise Sometimes he passes over great big stories in the other Gospels in one sentence because he's excitedly heading towards something at the end. He heads towards the last week of Jesus' life and that's the main focus of his Gospel. And if you look at the heart of Mark's Gospel, he really wants to show three things. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is... The son of man, meaning he is human. And thirdly, Jesus is the servant redeemer, the servant redeemer. And we'll see those things come out, but they'll, they'll come out uh, even the, the, today uh, immediately. And, and what we get, I'm sorry, I'm giving you a bit of an overview. In the first half of the book, really, what you're getting is jo- uh, Mark showing clearly That Jesus was the Son of God and you can see it by the miracles he did. You can see it by the things he taught. Because if... I'm not doing this, but if I stood up before you today and said, I am the Son of God, you would want to say to me, show us the goods. Yeah? What would those goods look like? What would it look like to be proven to be the Son of God? Yeah? Because you see, if God made all things, and I and I and, and <laughs> I'm not, if I was the Son of God, then obviously I would have the power that God had and I could prove it. And what you're going to see is that Jesus is undoubtedly the Son of God. He's undoubtedly the King of everything because we find out He has authority, this is in the first eight chapters, over men and women, over Evil. He has authority over demons and the devil. He has authority over our bodies. He brings healing. He has authority over the law of God. He has authority over the forgiveness of sins. He has authority to teaching. He's the king over creation. He he, he demands something of the weather, and it changes. He's uh, the the king or the ruler over uh, our holiness, and he has authority even over death. Now, if I were to prove to you by doing all those things that I had authority all over them, then you might start considering That's why you're going to know that I'm not the son of God. But Jesus is. Can you see what I'm saying? He proves that Jesus is the son of God by all these things. That's what we're going to spend our next few months talking about. And then as soon as he proves it and the disciples believe it and say, yes, you are the son of God, he changes tack. He does far less miracles and he starts to teach that he has to go to the cross, something the disciples find very hard to accept until the coming of the Holy Spirit when it starts to make sense. So with all that, that's our background for the book of Mark. And we we'll start with this first sentence, which is a big one. Well, it's half a sentence. in as it says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah or the Christ, the son of God. The beginning. You know, that's how Genesis 1 starts, doesn't it? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John starts his gospel, yeah, in the beginning as well. Uh, But he starts with, in the beginning was the word, was Jesus. And uh, that's the way Mark's thinking about things. But he's saying, the beginning of the good news, where you see some good news break into this world, happened. And now I'm going to start telling you the story from there. This is where the tide starts to turn. This is the point where it just seems like, well, you know, the people haven't heard from God for something like three or four hundred years. And, and that's hard to imagine because that means a generation doesn't hear from God and then they die and their children don't hear from God and they die and their children don't hear from God and they die. For three or four hundred years, you'd think the faith would be lost, wouldn't you? But no, God's people are maintained by his Holy Spirit And so this is a beginning where you start to see where the devil and evil and human sin and death, which have seemed to be reigning up to now, are not the end of God's plans. He has a plan to save the world through his son. And this is called the good news, the gospel. The gospel is all that Jesus would do. Now, Jesus is introduced and Jesus' name, the, the Hebrews would have known this, means in Hebrew more like God is salvation. In Greek, it's something like God who saves. Pretty similar, really. Um, Because there's one answer, I want you to hear this today, to the problems of this world. It's the good news of Jesus. There's one answer. The world actually languishes in darkness. There's a tyranny, a slavery that people feel in this world. Half the time they're in tyranny to themselves. But there's only one answer to the helplessness and the hopelessness, to the meaninglessness, to the purposelessness, to the frustration that every human being feels. Every human being. A lot of people fake it, make out they don't, but they do. Every human being feels that there is one answer, there is one good news, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he... Saves us. He is the anointed one, the one chosen, anointed by God, and he is the Son of God, the exact representation of God's being. Okay. Now in saying the beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, that is really easy for us who are Christians who have got Bibles and have been reading for years, it's hard, it, it, it's hard for us to imagine how radical an announcement this is at that time. He's saying, the Son of God's appeared. And we go, yeah, yeah, we've been taught about that since Sunday school perhaps. But no, no, this is something incredible. And this is where Mark is, is called an evangelist because he is bringing the good news about Jesus. And, and it, so he's, he's saying, hey, people in Judea, God has a plan to bring salvation to your life and to this world and through Jesus Christ, the man who, a real man who lived in real Judea, in real Jerusalem and the surrounds and died and he rose again and he's the son of God. Now, this message is just as radical today as it was then. It's just that we're hearing it with different ears. Jesus is the answer in this world, and there is no other answer. And people, we've been talking lately about people who say, I want to get into politics because I want to make an impact on the world. I want to change the world. I want to make it a better world. Yep. Because you know if I was Prime Minister, everything would be good in Australia, don't you? You do know that. Yeah, you'll believe that, Right. I'd just change everything immediately and everybody would love me and everybody would love each other and it would all be great. Not a chance, right? Yeah, people were disappointed in one Prime Minister so they vote him out and then they vote out the next one because they're disappointed with him because none of them really seem to be able to do what they say they're going to do. Change the world, save the world, yeah? And there is no philosophy of life, there is no thing... That in this world there is no project you can do which will bring about what you wish. There is only one place that salvation, one name that salvation can be found in. And that's Jesus Christ. And we're going to talk about Jesus for the rest of our lives. I hope so anyway. I hope we never stop. hope we never get sick of this. Because there's only one answer. And when you stop talking about Jesus, it often means that you have replaced him with some other stupid answer, which doesn't answer anything. Okay. By the way, it doesn't matter what the question is. Jesus is still the answer. Okay. So this, you can see the good news about Jesus Christ is a huge star. This is everything to us. Now Mark starts now, he goes immediately into this, where he tells us that Jesus is not a new idea, by the way. He fits in the Old Testament. The Old Testament promised this. As is written in the Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Now he quotes Micah, he quotes Isaiah, and he says, these passages say... One is coming, who, not, not Jesus, this is not about Jesus. These are actually about one who will come, who will for, come before the Saviour. It's John the Baptist. And that he would, in one sense, make straight paths. He would build a highway for the king to walk down. He would lay the foundation for Jesus. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptised by him in the river Jordan. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. That sounds nice, doesn't it? Locusts dipping in honey. Yay. Um, and this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. John had two parts to his message. Number one, repent, turn from your sins. And secondly, that one is coming who is greater than I. One who is coming, who is way and above me, he didn't point to himself. And people came. It says from all over the countryside, and and all the people. It says from all over the countryside and all the people of Jerusalem. Now, just imagine this: there's one in the calling in the wilderness. Some bloke is out near Mooney in the scrub preaching. And all the people of Brisbane come to see him. And all the people from the surrounding areas, from Gundy, they're jumping in their cars and they're going to hear this bloke in the middle of nowhere. That's what this is talking about. Massive amounts of people. Why? It's like they are drawn to him. It's not just that he's a bloke with some new theories. This guy has authority. Because, you see, they didn't all come at once. A few went and listened and then they went home and told the others and they all started to go and they all started to go. You understand? This is a big thing. People are drawn to this, to this John. Here is a man who has something to say and the power behind what he's saying. Now, if you lived in Jerusalem, there was something like 6,000 Pharisees at that time. A lot of teachers teaching a lot of stuff. But this bloke, he's different. We're going to go and hear a man with authority. And that's what they said about Jesus later on. Um, He has great authority in his teaching. And so John was teaching forgiveness of sins through confession. And then he was baptising. And the baptising was, I guess, a sign of cleansing. Could John really do that? Could he forgive sins? um, It was in a river. He was baptised in a river. Yeah. Like the river down here, probably just as dirty. I think the Jordan is, and uh, but could John really take away sins? Well, he couldn't actually forgive sins. Uh, he was demanding repentance. You see, John wasn't actually doing Christian baptism, because Christian baptism is into the name of Jesus. He wasn't that. But you see, what he was doing was preparing a way. He was a foreshadow of what Jesus, the one who is greater than me, who would actually forgive sins once and for all and would cleanse and wash people so clean that they would be baptised with the Holy Spirit. And John says, I'm not worthy to do up his shoelaces. He will come and cleanse you fully. He will be the one that brings forgiveness to him. So you can see John is laying down the road and Jesus puts a bitumen on it. No, that's a very bad analogy. But John is levelling the path. He's building a highway for the king. He's building a highway to the king. But John is really clear. I'm not the Messiah. Um, the people will look to one who is to come. And so the people of Judea are having their hearts prepared. They are, their anticipation is being built. Now, we also know that from the other Gospels, not everybody who comes agrees with John, do they? The the Pharisees come and argue with him. King Herod's really unhappy with him because he makes some comments about his adulterous relationship. But the people's hearts, the people's hearts were moved and they knew that he had authority. They knew he was a prophet. Even the Pharisees couldn't deny this man is a prophet. But he's a prophet who he really cut down the religion of the Pharisees and he cut down the hope, a political hope, that would happen through Herod. So John said the Saviour is going to appear. Now after John has been teaching for some time, we don't really know how long he's been in the wilderness proclaiming this, it says at that time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptised by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open, and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, "You are my Son, whom I love; with whom you, with you, I am well pleased." So Jesus of Nazareth appears. He is a guy. It, it's a bit like saying uh, we know um, Sydney from Gladstone. She's a real person. She's come from a real place. It's just. This is Jesus, comes from a known man. He's a known man. He comes along with the crowd to hear John and he's baptised by John. Now, Jesus never had sins to confess, did he? But he was baptised too and Matthew tells us that this was, Jesus says to John, I must do this to fulfil all righteousness. It's as Jesus identifies with the people and, and later he would take the place of the people. He was the son of man, though. He was a man. But as he came come up out of the water, something amazing happened. He says, heaven was torn open. What does that look like? It doesn't mean the clouds were torn apart. The heavenly realms are all around us. The spiritual realm's there. It's like it was torn apart and down, uh, descended on him, from there, the Holy Spirit, in bodily form like a dove, and, and there was the voice of the Father, but we'll talk about this in a minute. Now there's a whole lot being fulfilled here from the Old Testament that we might not see. Okay? Isaiah had promised the Savior would come, and that the Holy Spirit, you would know when this Saviour comes, because the Holy Spirit's going to rest on him. OK, so in Isaiah 11, it says a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Now, Jesse was the father of David. So if you imagine you've got Jesse as the stump and then David and you've got all the people of Israel like a family tree. We have family trees, but it's been cut off. It's, it's, all, looking, it's all looking a mess. And then from that stump, have you ever seen from a stump a shoot come up? Yep. And that's Jesus. From his a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord, or the spirit of Yahweh, will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and of fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes. He won't judge like a human being or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions to the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. Now that is a huge promise, isn't it? One is going to come and the spirit of the Lord is going to rest on him and all that's going to come from him. That is Jesus. Do you understand? The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. This is God's showing. To that crowd who were there. Now, we don't know how many were there that day. They weren't all there that day. But to John and to those gathered, this one is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit comes to rest on him. He is the Messiah. And then you hear a voice from the heavens that are torn open that says, you are my son, whom I love. With you I'm well pleased. The Father says, this one is my son. I love him. I'm pleased with him. I delight in him. Now, just to throw out a thing which is a heresy, this is not Jesus becoming the son of God. This is God declaring the truth that's always been. This is the son of God. He is the one I delight. Now, another uh, two parts that are fulfilled in those words which are found in the Old Testament. You can read Psalm 2 in your, in your, at your leisure. But Psalm 2 says the anointed one would come and, and would be shown to be God's own son, the king. And he also says, hey, people, listen to this. You rulers, everybody, kiss the son unless he be angry. In other words, you had better come to Jesus. Okay, and the other Old Testament scripture it's fulfilling is from Isaiah forty-two, which is talking about Jesus. Oh, sorry, it's talking about the suffering servant who would come. It says this: "Here is my servant, whom I uphold; my chosen one, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him." So now, this is the problem that uh, the disciples come to. They can understand Jesus being the King. And they want him to be the king and they, and they understand how he's going to be. He's going to rule over militarily and he's going to crush the people. What they found so hard to understand was that the same king was also the fulfilment of the one who was the suffering servant, who had to die in his humility and take the sins of uh, humanity. But God is showing by his words, this is my son whom I love, Whom I well pleased or I delight in. God's showing this is the fulfilment. He is the king. He is the suffering servant. Now, understand this. Mark is writing these words. He's bearing witness to Jesus. But actually he's reporting a greater witness. He's not just saying, hey, listen to my words. He's saying, this word comes from God. This is God the Father speaking. This is my son. You'd better believe in him. Okay. Then Jesus was immediately uh, drawn into the desert by the Holy Spirit. He was led by the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's not to say he was pushed unwillingly. He wanted to do follow the Spirit. and And, and this is one of those places where uh, Mark sums up a whole lot of teaching in the other Gospels in one sort of short sentence. He says, At once the Spirit sent him into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. That's enough. We don't need to expand on that. We all know how that goes, right? Uh, no. And he was with wild animals and the angels attended him. That's, uh, we know in the other Gospels that that's drawn out and we hear what, how Satan actually tempted uh, uh, Jesus um, but can you see this? A word comes from heaven, this is my dear son. Now if you were to read Revelation uh, 12, you'd find out that it's like the son is, is is about to be born of a woman and the great dragon, the evil one, is waiting to devour him. Well, Satan is seeing this. Here is the one, and the spirit leads Jesus to off in, into the desert, he needs to go there because the Satan is about the devil, the, the Satan, the evil one, the accuser is about to challenge what's just gone on. And Satan is a smooth operator; he knows how to fool humanity. Did God really say? Just he starts with the slyest questioning. Just you should really question God, shouldn't you? He doesn't really know. Question God. So, what does Jesus? Uh, what does Satan say to Jesus? If you really are the Son of God, A voice, the heavens were torn apart. The Holy Spirit came on him. The Father said, "You are my Son." And the devil says, "If you really are the Son of God, He is." Do you understand the, the, what, how the devil comes with his just little questioning, his little niggling? He introduced doubt, followed by rebellion. But the Son of God did. What Adam and Eve did not. He stood firm. He's shown to be God's son. Isn't this awesome? Yes. We have a Saviour who stood up to the evil one. And what's more later on we know uh, what he does at the cross. So Isaiah 28:16 says this. So this is what the sovereign Lord says: see, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone. A precious cornerstone for a sure foundation, the one who relies on it, will never be stricken with panic. Now, this is talking about Jesus, the cornerstone, but you see what sort of stone it says? This is a tested stone. He has been tested. Now, if you were to test the cornerstone, what you're really doing is you would come with your tri-squares and make sure that it's perfectly square because what they would do building a building, they would put the cornerstone there And from the line of each of the angles of the cornerstone would come the whole building. And if the whole building was true, then it was perfectly in line with the cornerstone. So if you had a wonky, curvy, warped cornerstone, you ended up with a a building that would fall down. They're saying Jesus is the cornerstone and he has been tested and he is true and he is straight and he is perfect in every way. This is exciting for us because that means we have a saviour who has been tested and he is perfect and he is righteous in every way. And so when he took our sins and he gave us our uh, gave us his righteousness, he gave us a perfect righteousness. It's been tested. He has never sinned and he has taken all of our sin. Can you see that? So you will never need to fear or panic any, about anything. If you look to this cornerstone, Okay, moving on. After John was put in prison, right? we're already at about chapter 6 or 7 of the other Gospels, but he, yeah, Mark's straight into it. Don't need to tell that story. Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The time has come. Now, in English, we have one word for time. Right? In, in Greek, there's two words. One is chronos, where you get chronological, that's for your watch. But that's not the word used here. They have this other word, which is called kairos, which means the appointed time, the fulfilled time, the time of God. And he's saying, now is the time that God has called it. God has made it happen. Now is the appointed time. The kingdom of God is near. Repent. And believe to see the good news. Not repent and uh, be for the confession of sins. So much here, he's saying, repent and believe the good news. Turn to the gospel. Turn to Jesus. Turn to this one who it has been shown very clearly already. He is the Son of God. He is the King. Now, as I said, we're not going to spend a lot of time on the kingdom bit because we're going to spend. Months doing that in different ways. But the kingdom is near. Believe the gospel. I don't know. I find this an incredible passage. Like the son of God has appeared to humanity. We should be so excited we could even do this. Mm -hmm. We could smile. Maybe even more than that. We could go, yippee. How can you finish talking? This is a momentous happening in the, in the whole of God's plans and it's just as momentous today. So, if you have heard the good news about this son of God and then repent, turn to him and believe. And if you're not sure, then come to the next few months and hear about and find out that he really is the son of God. But hear this. Jesus is God's son. He is the king and he is the suffering servant. He is everything. To us. This is, it's good news. It's not like, you could watch the news tonight on TV and there'll be some happenings in the world. And you might forget about some of them and some of you go, oh, that's bad. And then you go and have your tea. Yep. This is not that sort of news. This is news to, that changes everything. This is the news where you go, whoa, right. This changes everything. Okay, this is awesome. And it's, sometimes we see that. You know, we see news that seems to change everything, like the Twin Towers getting hit by planes. That was such a huge event. But when have you ever heard news that it changes everything that's good? We have lots of news that's bad that changes everything, we think. This is good news. It changes everything for our good. This is worth spending your whole life on, this news. Can you get what I'm saying? Hearing it and knowing it and believing it, this, is what, this, this changes everything. This is not attack on to your life. This is not, oh, you know, I, 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 I do this and I do that and I believe in Jesus. Yep. This is, Jesus is everything. This kind of interrupts the news and makes the rest of the news to be nothing. Jesus. A man who lived and died and rose again is our saviour. He is our king. He is everything. Jesus is the answer to all our questions. He is the foundation stone to build your life upon. There is no other foundation stone. The others are all warped. The others will crumble, they will fall, they cannot hold you. But when you build your life on his stone, you will stand firm forever and nothing can shake you in this world. Believe the good news.